Welcome to Beyond Limits week three. And so the Beyond Limits class is a supernatural, or excuse me, a scriptural journey. So we're using scripture as a foundation to lead us into a place to where we embrace supernatural possibilities of all kinds. Now, it may not be this way for everybody, but there are people who grow up in the church reading the scriptures, like doing the Christian activities, learning all of the things, gaining all of the knowledge, but have yet to have a, a heart or a mind to embrace that this whole thing is supernatural and that truly God can do whatever he wants whenever he wants uh, in accordance with who he is, his love, his mercy, his grace, his power. Um, but a lot of times we will limit the Father in what he can do, not because we're limiting his power, but we're limiting what we experience based on whether or not we even believe that he can do those things or not. So Jesus, when he was out um, doing his ministry, there were places where he couldn't do many miracles because of the lack of faith. And so I would venture to say that that lack of belief, that lack of faith limited what he could do there. And so a lot of people don't like to say that we can limit God, but I really believe we can limit the amount of interaction, supernatural experience and relationship that we have with him. If we don't even believe, anything is possible for him who believes. So if we don't believe, there are things that aren't possible. I think that's safe to say. So this is what the class is all about. I get really excited about it um, because we really venture into uh, this idea of asking the question, what is possible? And you may have heard a little bit of my story before, but everything changed for me when I stopped asking the question, what is scriptural, and started asking the question, what is possible? And so that's when scripture became the foundation for possibility rather than impossibility. And so it's a mind shift, it's a perception. And so my heart desired to really ask the question of, of Yahweh, what is possible? I want to know. And he began to use scripture to show me and to open doors to uh, new possibilities, I suppose. Supernatural possibility. So we've laid a little bit of foundation. Week one was called Dealing with the Issue of Mixture. We source from one place for truth, and that's by the Spirit of God. We have one father, one teacher, one rabbi, as Jesus says. Um, Week two, we talked about forming and filling, that the Lord is in this business of, of forming things and then filling them with his spirit, or forming the earth and then filling it with people, forming the garden, filling it with Adam and Eve, forming the church, filling it with his spirit, forming uh, the church, and then using them to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. So just this idea of forming and filling is really amazing, and he invites us into that. And so it's very important that we realize that we have a place in God's grand plan, right? God's will, we have a place. He desires to invite us into relationship and into partnership. And that's kind of my statement tonight. Week three is titled Revelational Relationship. And so on a foundational level, an invisible, supernatural entity, Yahweh, creator of all things, father of all, he supernaturally reveals himself to man because he's spirit, for the Lord is spirit. He's spirit, and he reveals himself to creation, to that 
those who he's created. And so it's revelational. It is revealed to us who he is, his nature, his love for us, his, um, his personality, his heart, his desires. So Yahweh, throughout Scripture, is in the business of revealing all of who he is to man. Does that make sense? And so I don't think that when we shut the Scriptures that that has ended. He, it, they're just not, you know, the people that got to know Yahweh, and then all of a sudden he's like, okay, just go live off of their testimony. Where testimony is good and we can be encouraged and we can learn things, I believe that the Lord is still revealing himself to people today. And so tonight we're going to talk about this statement, God has a track record of revealing himself to mankind for the purpose of relationship and partnership. And so God wants to know you and for you to know him and he wants to invite you into partnership with what he has planned for all of creation. And as we talked a little bit last week, that he's in the business of also redeeming all things into himself. Scripture tells us in, I think it's one of the Corinthian books, <laughs> uh, letters, he tells us um, that we are ambassadors of Christ as though God is making his appeal through us, reconciling all people to himself. And so we are ambassadors of reconciliation. So we're invited to be a part of what he's doing in the earth. And he invites us into it, gives us authority, gives us identity, gives us love, grace, mercy, relationship with himself. And as we'll talk about um, in a couple of weeks, he uses all of the resources of heaven to back us to be able to do what he's called us to do. And so we'll get into that. So God has a track record of revealing, so it's revelational. It's some, something that is revealed is at one time hidden. And so it, it's something that is not revealed has been, it's either been held in a place where it's not been revealed so that it can be revealed at a time, or there are things that God has not yet revealed because it's not yet time. And so there are these hidden things that God reveals to us and again, he does it by his spirit. And so he's revealing himself to us, to his created beings, for that purpose of relationship and partnership. And so it's this beautiful invitation into knowing him and having intimate relationship and then also partnering with his will. So let's dive into this. And we're just going to go through uh, quite a few scriptures tonight, different stories, starting in the Old Testament, and then we're going to jump into the New Testament. And I just want to show you that all throughout the narrative of scripture, he continues to do this, right? So we're, we're not just looking at just one story, we're looking at how he's done this over time. So when you think about the entire story of the scripture, you see that this needle has threaded these stories together throughout the entire scripture. And so I believe that, again, when we close the book, that that thread continues in to our present day, and he's continuing to do this with other people. So Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Is everybody with me? All right. So Yahweh is revealing himself to Abram or Abraham. And it's interesting, in Genesis, the beginning of chapter 12, we don't really get an introduction as to where Abraham was or what he was doing, or if there was previous relationship, 
or why Abraham was or Abram was essentially chosen. So the father has a will, and he essentially intervenes in the life of an individual to to um, what's the word? Open up the door for that relationship. And then he begins to insert his will. And so there's some beautiful phrasing in this scripture that we're going to hit on. So uh, Adonai says to Abram, get going from your land and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. My heart's desire is to make you into a great nation, to bless you, to make your name great so that you may be a blessing. My desire is is to bless those who bless you, but whoever curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Excuse me. So we have this interesting interaction, and what I love about this is that we see this phrase two times in verse 2 and verse 3. The Lord is communicating his heart's desire for Abram. And so basically he he starts to speak to Abram, and I don't know what that was like. It's just kind of like, whoa, what is that? What's going on here? Who's this entity that's speaking? Abram would have had some sort of concept of a God at that point in time. And so Yahweh um, reveals himself, begins to speak, and immediately starts to communicate that he has a will for his life and that he's inviting him into that. And so... Give me one second. I have to let somebody in. Welcome. Welcome. All right. So he has a plan. He has a will for Abram. And he says, get going from your land. And so he gives him, gives him a command. But along with the command, there's a heart's desire that Yahweh's communicating to Abram, which I think is just beautiful. So if we think about this word prophecy that we get, then, well, there's prophets in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we get prophecy, and Paul begins to talk about not despising prophecy. Um, but if you're going to desire gifts, to then desire that gift so that the church may be built up. Well, what this term prophecy, when you look at it, it really means giving a word or a thought as discerned by the Spirit that is from the heart and the mind of God. And so the way I, I will say that is just simply communicating the heart and the mind of Yahweh to individuals. And so the Spirit of God in us empowers us to be able to speak the things that the Lord is thinking or saying or doing, His desires. What is Yahweh's desire? And so we go all the way back to, to Genesis 12, and we see that the Father is communicating a plan. He has a will that He desires to be made manifest. We talked about this in Genesis 1 where he creates um, the heavens and the earth and then he begins to form and fill and he speaks. He had a plan. He has a will. He begins to bring that forth. And then he makes Adam and Eve and then he invites them into that plan. Go subdue the earth, multiply, name the animals, do these things. He's giving command because he has a desire. And I think that desire ties back to what he named the garden where he placed man, which is Eden or pleasure. And so he desires for us to delight in the place that he's made for us and in our relationship with him and in the mission that he's given us. So let me just say this. That word delight is like, it's super important because 
I think a lot of us are afraid of what the Lord has in store for some of us. Like when he begins to reveal his will to us. I just remember that when I was younger in my faith. I remember thinking, you know, like, what is the Lord going to have me do? Oh, man, it's going to be something that's going to be hard. And it's going to be this, it's going to be that. And, oh, man, he's, he's probably going to ask you to do something you don't want to do. And a lot of times that's true. But he gives the command because he has a desire behind that command. And so as we walk out in that obedience, we begin to step into the place where we experience what the Father has desired for us. So he tells Abram, go. That's a command. But then he says, here's why you're going. I want to bless you. I want you to be filled with joy. I want you to be happy because this is my heart's desire for you. My heart's desire for you, we see later in Jeremiah 29, 11, is that he desires to prosper us, to give us a hope and a future not to harm us. And so there's this instance where the Father does this. And so I just want to hammer down on that for the 14th time. Have you ever, I just want to challenge you to really, in your relationship with the Father, ask the question, what is your heart's desire for me? It's really just asking the question, what is your will? But a lot of times we put the Father in this space where he's like a dictator. He's like, what he says goes. We're going to do what he says. You have to be obedient. His commands, you know, if you love him, you obey his commands. And we make it this rigid, law-based situation. But I guarantee you, behind the will of the Father is a heart for you. That's a good statement. And so go to the Father and say, what is your heart's desire for me? And so again, he's revealing himself, inviting people into relationship, <clears throat> and then calling them to partner in, mich- in, the, in, in what he has um, for them based on his heart. So Exodus 3, 1 through 10. Um, actually, that's probably more like 1 through 12. Um. So we're just going to look at this story of Moses, and you guys have heard this story probably many times, but I want to bring out just a couple of instances where we see the father kind of sticking to this, um, sticking to this pattern. Now, where I say he has a pattern, um, I don't mean to box him in, but I mean to talk about this principle of revealing and then invitation, relationship, um, through revelation, and then an invite into partnership, and that's just going to continue on. So, now Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. So he led the flock to the farthest end of the wilderness, coming to the mountain of God, Horeb. Then the angel of Adonai appeared to him in a flame of fire from within a bush. So let's just talk about that. The father is supernaturally now revealing himself to Moses. He's approaching him in a supernatural way by causing a bush to catch on fire but then not burn up. And then he begins to speak through the bush. So if we just want to talk about embracing supernatural possibility, I just want to throw it out there that the creator in the universe decided to manifest himself through a flame on a bush with a voice. I'm just saying... We just want to talk about possibility. He's taking his invisible self and then beginning to 
inhabit or use something that he's created and then speak. So if we want to talk possibility. That's pretty interesting. So it says, uh, Moses thought, verse 3, I will go now and see this great sight. Why is the bush not burnt? When Adonai saw that he turned to look, he called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. So again, here's this crazy instance that's happening. And then Moses answered with this. Uh, so the tree of life version keeps this Hebrew word and it's Hanani. And that just means here I am. And so the father calls out to Moses by his name, Moses, Moses. And Moses essentially uses his phrase that we'll see that continues through scripture where he, I, I just, I imagine Moses standing at attention, almost like a soldier responding to the command of the commanding officer, the general. And he is essentially at attention and just says, here I am. And that's an undivided attention with a mind and a heart ready to listen to what the authority has to say. And so, again, there's this idea, and I want to encourage you to position yourself in a space where you have full attention with your heart and your mind to say to the Father, here I am, and to, then to listen. And so, I always talk about Christine at this point in time because she said something I'll never forget. She actually said it standing up here at this, in this area uh, some years ago. And she talk about, talked about that all we have to do to engage with the Father is simply turn our time and our attention. We just turn. In Revelation, it talks about John. It said he turned and he saw. We just look there in the heavens. Set your mind on things above. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated in the heavenly realm. We just turn time and attention. We essentially position ourselves spiritually at the, at the throne of the Father, right, through the veil in the heavenly realm, we stand there at the Father and we say, Hanani, here I am. And we listen. It's a very simple practice, but it has powerful implications. Because then we begin to say, what is your heart's desire for me? What is your will, Father? Not that we approach just as a servant and say, just give me my marching orders. Let's not forget the relational nature of what the Father's calling us to. When he calls us into partnership, he doesn't do it before calling us into relationship. And we'll see that when Jesus calls his disciples to himself here in just a little while. But um, let's get back to this. So this word, Hineni, verse 5, then he said, Come no closer. This is Yahweh speaking to Moses. Come no closer. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's identifying himself. Saying, Moses, Moses, okay, here's who I am. I am God. This is a revelatory situation of Moses now understanding the entity, the God that he's interacting with. And so Yahweh identifies himself as the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then Adonai said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their slave masters, for I know their pains. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of the land into a good and large land and a land flowing with milk and honey into a place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Woo! And so now behold, the cry of Bnei Yisrael, that's a good one to say, <laughs> um, or the children of God, 
has come to me. So Yahweh is now saying, I've heard the cry of my people. And so Yahweh is now responding to the cry of his people. And he has a plan. And as we know, he goes on to, he goes on to say, Moreover, I've seen the oppression that the Egyptians have inflicted on them. Come now, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my, my people, B'nai Yisrael, it's hard to say, out of Egypt. And so the father is responding to the cry of the people. So he's come to a decision. He's brought forth a will. He's conjured a desire in his heart. And so now he's beginning to act based on that desire. So he reveals himself to Moses and then invites Moses to partner in bringing about the will that was birthed in his heart in response to the cry of his people. Now this might sound a little bit stale at this point in time, but this is what's happening. The father has a desire, and so now he's going to begin to invite people, or we see that he invites Moses into that process. So we talked about this a little bit last week, but the Father is in the business of inviting people into that partnership to bring about his will. It's a very important thing that we'll be talking about here in the next couple of weeks. And so Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring B'nai Yisrael out of Egypt? So he said, I will surely be with you, and I bolded this on our PDF, so, so that will be the sign to you. That is who I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So Moses has this revelation of the Father through the bush supernaturally. Here's the voice. Now here's the heart of the Father with the command attached to it, which is an invitation into partnership for what the Father wants to do. And then the father then gives this statement that is, to me, kind of a seal or a promise of his withness, his presence with Moses as he journeys along as a part of this will in this mission. So let me just tell you, when the father invites you into that relationship and invites you into being a part of what he desires to happen on earth as it is in heaven, it's not as if he leaves us to do it by ourselves. He says, surely I will be with you. And interesting enough, we'll see that Jesus, he, uh, he says the same thing later when he calls the disciples to go into the world and preach the good news to all creation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I commanded you. And then he says what? And surely I will be with you even unto the end of the age. And so what a beautiful callback to this initial exodus invitation where Moses is brought into this position where he will lead the Israelites out of slavery. And so we know Jesus comes and then he leads his people out of slavery. So there's a connection there. But these beautiful words that were given, and surely I will be with you, the Father says to Moses, and Jesus then says to his disciples, and surely I will be with you. And so there is this idea of being with, and we'll talk a little bit about this um, towards the end as well. So 
Let's move on. 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 11. There's a little bit here that I want to talk about as well. Uh, remember, we're very scripture heavy in some of these. And so we're just laying some foundation. We're showing you in the Bible, right, where this these things are happening and where they're happening over and over and over again. So it's not just one instance. It's over and over and over and over because it sets a trajectory for what the Father's doing and how he does those things. So... Um, 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 11. Now the boy Samuel was in the service of Adonai under Eli. In those days, the word of Adonai was rare. So there were no visions breaking through. So there's not a lot of revelation happening. Right? There's not a lot of the voice of the Lord going forth. But one day Eli was laying down in his place. Now his eyes had grown dim so that he could not see. Um, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out. So Samuel was laying down in Adonai's temple where the ark of God was. Then Adonai called Samuel. So he answered, here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he replied, I didn't call, go back to sleep. So he went back to lay down. Then Adonai called Samuel yet again. So this happens three times. Finally, um, Eli says to Samuel, it's not me calling you. It sounds like it's the Lord speaking to you. And so go lay down, and when he calls you again, just say, here I am. Speak for your servants listening. And so Eli goes and lays down. Oh, excuse me, Samuel goes back to sleep. And it says, interesting here, interestingly here in verse 10, then Adonai came and stood and called as the other times. And so now we have the presence of God standing in the room calling out to Samuel. You want to talk about what is possible. The father coming and standing in the room speaking to a young boy who's laying in his bed going to sleep. And I'll never forget this story because growing up, I sat under a lot of Bible teaching. I was in a small Baptist church and they taught us all the Bible stories. But I'll never forget that story and hearing it for the first time that there was this young boy who was laying down in his bed and was, he heard the voice of God. And so that put a seed in me at that point in time to where as I would go to lay down to go to sleep, that became my place of prayer. And as a young boy, I remember going to sleep, laying in bed, and that's when I would begin to say, Father, and I would pray and I would speak and I would I would make myself available if he would have anything to say or do in that place. It was just this amazing place of faith. What an interesting and what what a, a very simple word for Eli to give to Samuel and say, next time he calls out, just say, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. And so I love that. But essentially, um, Samuel is presenting himself in the same fashion that uh, Moses was presenting himself when he said, Hanani, here I am. My heart, my mind are attentive. And so whatever you have to say, Lord. So I just want to continue to hammer down on that as we, as we move forward in this class. Are we positioning ourselves in the place where we quiet our heart, we quiet our mind, we quiet our soul, and we just say, whatever you want to say, Lord. And do we have faith to believe 
that when he speaks, it's him who's speaking and that he will actually reply. We did a podcast one time and it was it was called Why Can't I Hear from God? And one of the answers to the que- to that question was some people don't hear from God because they don't believe that he has anything to say. And so do we believe that the Father has anything to say to us? And I would venture to say absolutely. Absolutely he does. So Continuing on real quick, verse 11, just to round out this story, it says, And Adonai said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone that hears it will tingle. So the father comes and begins to speak to Samuel, and he says, Guess what? I have a plan. And so here we are seeing this repetition of the Father saying, Hey, you human, (laughs) know me, and also I have something that I want to do. I have a heart's desire. I have a will. I have a response to the cry of my people. I'm going to be doing these things because that's what I desire to do. So let's just read on Samuel 3, 19 through 21. We just dropped down 10 verses in the same chapter. Um, Excuse me, eight verses. It says, So Samuel grew up, And Adonai was with him. So here we get this beautiful phrase again. I just want to keep saying the withness. Can I get a withness? The withness of God to be with his people. So that's the relational piece. And the will coming forth is the partnership piece. And so he says, let none of his words fall to the ground. And let none of his words fall to the ground. Then all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was entrusted as a prophet of Adonai. He was someone who heard the voice of the Lord and could communicate his heart and his mind for the people. And it says in verse 21, finally, Adonai started to appear once more in Shiloh. So now we've got Yahweh appearing. Behold, or excuse me. And at, for Adonai revealed himself to, to, uh, himself to Samuel and Shiloh by the word of Adonai. So we get this interesting situation where there's a revelation. Again, we're talking about revelational relationship. So this scripture says it. For Adonai revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of Adonai, by his voice by his speaking to the boy as he laid in his bed late at night before the lamp of God went out. It's so beautiful to me. I just imagine us. I, let me just tell you. Woo! I see us as children laying in our beds. Just beloved children of God. And we're, we're perfect in his sight. We're perfect. We're spotless. We are blameless because of what Jesus has done. And we just lay there innocent with open hearts and open minds, just as naive as can be. God, bring back some naivety into our lives to have faith, to have ears and heart to listen as children with this innocence 
of possibility just looming over us. To just be open to hear your voice and that you would desire to speak over us and say and do what you please in our lives. That you want to reveal will. You want to reveal to us who you are and your heart's desire for us and reveal what you have planned and invite us into that plan and then say to us that surely you will be with me as we journey in this together. Man, that's just a powerful image, you guys. So Isaiah 6, 8, we just get one more place. And it's Isaiah, and he's having this vision of Yahweh. And he says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, again, he's hearing the voice of the Lord. We just look back at the end of verse 21 in Samuel 3, and it says, For Adonai revealed himself to Samuel, Samuel and Shiloh by the word, or by his speaking. And so Isaiah then in this place, in the spirit, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, so again, Yahweh's speaking, and he says, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me, or Hanadi. Here I am. I'm, I'm present. I'm available. I'm listening. I'm willing. And so Yahweh then, he has this plan, and Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord calling, and he responds, and then we know that Isaiah goes on to do many miraculous wonders and to bring about the will of God for the Israelites in that time. And we get lots of prophecy about Jesus coming. So just that prophecy about Yahweh's plan to bring Yeshua to the earth and what he had planned for him, Isaiah 53, we just get that revelation. Again, the Spirit of God is, is speaking through Isaiah, but God is setting forth a plan that he desires to happen, right? It's a beautiful thing. So let's fast forward into New Testament. And I want to skip down to Mark, and then I want to jump back to Acts. So in Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 15, Jesus is beginning his ministry, and he's calling disciples to himself. And so here it says in verse 13, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. There's that word again, desire. He had a desire. He had a will. He had a plan. And so he goes and he calls forth to himself those that he desires. He is only doing what he's seen the Father do. And he's only doing what he sees the Father doing. So Jesus has witnessed the Father throughout time, the history of man, revealing himself, desiring people to, to be with, to then have on mission, to be in relationship and partnership. Again, that's the theme for tonight. And so he says, he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. So there was a response. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. So he gave them a place, a purpose, a role, an identity, all along with the training as well, so that they might be what? With him. Can I get a witness? <laughs> there it is again. It's that word, with. 
relationship so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Let me tell you, this verse right here can set a lot of people free because a lot of people want to preach for God and a lot of people want to have supernatural gifts of the Spirit, follow them in their ministry, and they forget to be with Jesus first. It says that he called them to him, that they might be with him. It starts with relationship. And then the ministry would come, and then the supernatural Holy Spirit power would come. But we cannot skip the relational aspect of what the Father wants with us. It's not just about us being servants. And a lot of us want to serve the Lord. We want to do what he wants us to do. God, just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. I will be obedient. I don't care where I have to go. I don't care who I have to know. I don't care what it costs me. God, I want to do what you want me to do. And we're begging for the will of God and we're missing the with of God. <laughs> and it's, man, it's rough. And it's rough. And I don't, I mean, it is a noble thing to desire to do the work of the Lord. But a lot of us are getting the cart before the horse and we go and try and do things for God when we've not been called or commanded by God to do those things. And we do it in his name, but to many he says, I never knew you. So there are people who get the cart before the horse and they say, I'm going to do for Jesus. I'm going to do for the Father. I'm going to do for the kingdom and completely neglect the importance of the relationship. And so I can get excited about doing things for God. I left my hometown. <laughs> you know, it's part of my story. And I moved to Wichita to be a pastor, to start a church. And it was interesting because people say, why are, we, why are you moving to Wichita? So I'm moving to Wichita to help start a church. I didn't say I'm moving to Wichita so I could be with God more. Or I can grow in my relationship with him or so I can know him more. My whole purpose my, was to go to have him do something through me. And I remember saying over and over and over again to the people that I came into contact with, I'm so excited about what God's going to do through me. I'm so excited what God's going to do through Oh, he's going to do so much through the church. Oh, he's going to do so much in Wichita. Big vision, big plans, all these things. Launch large, do the... Do the things. Hoorah, we're a church plant. Wear the t-shirt. And I remember one time I was talking to a pastor or a friend, somebody. But they said, you know, Jason, you're talking a lot about what the Lord wants to do through you. Have you ever considered that he wanted to do something in you? I was like, oh. And then I went on to do four years of doing for him with very little of him doing in me. And I remember when I came out of that season, I thought, I don't even have a relationship with the Lord right now. My biggest fear in those moments during that time was that people would ask me what the Lord was showing me. Like, hey, what's the Lord showing you? And typically, I was only able to give an answer if I had read some scripture that day or the day before. Hey, what's God doing in you? Oh, I was reading Luke chapter 4 the other day, and there's just this really cool thing that stood out to me. That wasn't the work he's doing in me. I was just reading scripture and then saying, oh, I just read that scripture. 
I thought it was cool. And so it wasn't until I essentially kind of stopped doing so much for the Lord that he began to take me back to the foundation of relationship with him. And so it's revelational relationship, and he reveals himself for the purpose of relationship and partnership. He will give us authority in his kingdom. He will give us a place in building what he wants us to build. He will empower us to do those things, right? Preach, tell people about who he is, testify of his goodness, encourage the body, cast out demons if we have to, have a supernatural presence with us. But again, it's the with. It's the with. It's the with to be with him. And surely I will be with you. And surely I will be with you. One more quick point. Uh, Mary and Martha. So Jesus comes over to be with the people in the house. Martha has a good heart and wants to serve and prepare. But once Jesus is there, she misses it. And Mary sits at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, she's chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. Martha was so worried about what she was doing for Jesus that she forgot to be with Jesus. And Jesus said, you're concerned about many things, but only one, thing's mat- one thing matters, and Mary has chosen what is best. If you're going to choose what is best, choose relationship first. And then I believe through that relationship that the Father will invite us into the mission that he has for us. And so we can get to a place where we we say, let's just take a step back. It is okay, let me tell you, everybody on Zoom and everybody in the room, it is okay to stop doing things for the Lord so that you can be with the Lord. And he will lead you through that season and point you in the direction that you should go. And so just whoever needs to hear that. So one last thing, and then we'll have some conversation. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 6. Uh, Meanwhile, Acts 9, 1 through 6. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, supernatural, Revelation, supernatural manifestation of our creator from the heavenly realm into the physical realm. Light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Remember we called Moses, Moses, Moses. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So here we have an instance of an individual who is actually against the church, against Jesus' ecclesia that he said that he would build, that he would cause um, to grow, that he would empower. And so he comes against this guy, or he reveals himself to him supernaturally. He speaks by his word, his voice, Saul hears it, and then Jesus gives a command and says, there's something that I want you to do. 
And so we all know that the story goes, Saul, essentially, who we call the Apostle Paul, um, enters into this relationship with Jesus that was foundationally supernatural in how it was revealed to him. Saul was a, a scholar of the Torah, probably of the Talmud. He was a scholar. He knew the scriptures inside and out. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was recognized as an individual who was a master of theology in the Jewish faith. This was Paul. And it wasn't his thorough knowledge of the scriptures that helped him come to an understanding of who Christ was. It was Christ revealing himself and speaking to him and then inviting him into relationship and giving him command and giving him mission. And so we know that Paul goes on to be spirit-filled and spirit-led. We tried to go here, the Spirit of the Lord didn't let us go. We tried to do this, the Spirit of the Lord didn't let us go. I had a dream, and then there was this man here, and so then I knew that the Lord was leading us to go this way. Paul goes on to say, that he was given a thorn in his flesh as a messenger of Satan. So he cries out to the Lord three times, take this, this thorn from my flesh. And then Paul says, and he said to me, or the Lord said to me, and we get red letters in scripture where Jesus responds and he says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. We get another instance later on where Paul is still hearing the voice of Jesus as he's journeying through this mission that he's been put on by the Lord. And so I just desire so much for us to just consider all these things. Consider all these stories. Consider these words that have come up tonight as in the, heart, the desires of God. Just presenting ourselves and saying, here I am, speak. Here I am. What do you have to say? Here I am. Jesus, Yahweh, and Yeshua revealing themselves calling people to be with them, giving them command as we're in the relationship. There's just this, it's this pattern. And again, we shut the book. We shut the book. And I believe he's still doing that. I believe he's still moving in that way. So we ask the question, what is possible? And so to answer that question tonight, I want to say, it is possible that Yahweh is still today revealing himself to people for the purpose of intimate relationship and partnership in his plan, and he does it as he sees fit. So let's take the limits off of what we think God is doing or can do and how he's speaking, how he's revealing himself, how, how he's communicating his heart and his mind to people. We see that he's done it. It's all through the scriptures and I believe that the kingdom of if we still believe that the kingdom of heaven is being made manifest on earth as it is in heaven, you better believe that he's revealed himself to people to invite them into that mission to bring that about. I think we have to conclude that. And it might seem like a simple thing for some of us to, to maybe go from not believing to believing, but believe me, there are people out there who don't think this way. And so I want to challenge you present to you this information, have you go back to the Lord and test it and pray and seek, turn your mind and your attention, say, here I am, Lord, speak your servants listening, and just be so open 
to the possibility of what might actually happen when we give our ear to Yahweh.